the great yo-yo fad in the U.S., which took us right into the 60s. Yeah. And in 46, he moved the company to Luck, Wisconsin. Which is known as the yo-yo capital of the world. It's now the capital of the world. Producing how many yo-yos per hour? At its peak, he was producing 3,600 yo-yos per hour, That's which astounding. is one per second. Wow. That's astounding. Oh, You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 107, Time Trek, The Yo-Yo, Spinning Wheel Got to Go Round. you smell that coffee? I do. That's ground coffee, not powdered coffee. The beans were ground. Mmm, das schmeckt. Das schmeckt. Das schmeckt. <laughs> so this is another edition of Time Trek, mm -hmm. believe it or not. And we've chosen the development and the evolution and the history of... The yo-yo. And why? Well, because it seems that every time we choose something like this and go into it to explore it and research it, mm. we discover amazing things about its history. For example, how old the yo-yo as an idea is. It goes back to ancient China. 1000 BC approximately. Incredible. Well, it's credited with being the second oldest toy in the world. The first being? Uh, playing with oneself. <laughs> Which is probably true. However, <laughs> it's actually the doll. The doll, of course. The doll. Uh, yes, so it's the second most. Uh, Although playing with oneself is probably the logical. Close third. Yeah. <laughs> After you tire of the doll and the yo-yo, what else is left? Right. Anyway, uh, yes. And um, so, yes, one of the oldest toys on the planet. The first sort of main recording of its use is in ancient Greece, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And there are vases showing young men playing yo-yos. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Not with themselves. Um, well, interestingly enough, I mean, the yo-yo is a solitary toy. Mm -hmm. and we call it a toy, but in its original form, or at least during a period in history, it was actually utilized as a weapon. Well, I mean, they think maybe the idea of the yo-yo came from the way it was utilized as a weapon. Mm -hmm. So mm. the Filipino hunter, gatherer, would be in the tree and then their prey would come along below and they'd have this rock tied to a, a rope and they'd throw the rock down to hit the prey. Now, if it didn't quite do the job, they could pull the rock back up, mm -hmm. try it again. Mm -hmm. So kind of a yo-yoing of this rock up and down. Yeah, and that was in the 16th century in the Philippines. Yeah, and interestingly enough, around the same time period in uh, medieval Japan, mm -hmm. uh, the ninja were using a weapon called the kyoketsu. Shoge, which... Easy for you to say. Absolutely. And what it was is an iron ring about mm -hmm. four or five inches in diameter on one end. Attached to that ring was a long, maybe 15, 20 feet of horsehair or twine or something right. or chain. And at the end of that is a kind of a crooked blade that you'd hold in your hand. So you'd swing this uh, iron ring around over your head and fling it. Much, say, much like a cowboy with a lasso. Right? Yeah, and it would uh, swing around and maybe trip up horses, mm -hmm. right? And you could pull people's legs out from under them. You could hit them on the head with this iron ring, and then you could pull it back or pull them back if you've wrapped them up, for mm -hmm. example. Much so, like a yo-yo. Much like a yo-yo. So, yeah, there's this sort of 
funny kind of connection to the ancient world of weaponry mm -hmm. that the yo-yo is or is not related to. But we find it fascinating anyways to talk about. So getting back to the historical picture, we're talking China, 1000 BC, makes its way to Greece, Greece around 500 BC, about the same time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, the Egyptians were also employing the yo-yo. Yep. At that time, it was made either out of a terracotta or wood. Or metal. And in fact, in ancient Greece, when a child kind of outgrew their toys and became of age, they would often place some of those toys at the altar of the gods as an mm. offering. And often it would be the terracotta version of the yo-yo because it wasn't as functional as wood or metal mm -hmm. break, right? right? So that would be put on the altar as an offering right. as to the gods. So interesting, it was used in as play, but also as a kind of a spiritual tool to communicate with the gods. Right. India, there's some records of, of mm -hmm. small boxes with yo-yos uh, on them, people playing with yo-yos in India, of all places. It finally makes its way to Europe, to Scotland and France in particular. And just at about the time of the French Revolution. Yes, that's right. And what happened was that at first it was the aristocracy that got these toys and played mm. with them. But then the French Revolution happened and the aristocracy fled much of it to Germany and other places. And so the name of the toy at the time wasn't Yo-Yo. That came much later. The French called it l'émigrette, like the émigré, because they were fleeing. So right. they called it after the, the action of fleeing the country. When the English got it, they called it the Bandalore. So Bandalore. it's gone by many different, the quiz also. Mm, the quiz. The quiz. Many different names this toy has gone by. But it was used uh, often to relax oneself. Right. And uh, Napoleon, apparently, and his troops before the Battle of Waterloo relaxed and prepared themselves by playing with yo-yos of all things. Who knew that? And so you have that happening. You have in playwriting, Beaumarchais. Mm. Mm -hmm. In his treatment of the marriage of Figaro in 1792, he has Figaro entering and showing his tension by playing the yo-yo, mm. playing with the yo-yo. And so he says, like, oh, what's the yo-yo about? He says it's, it's just a way of dispelling the fatigue of thinking, mm. a simple action where you don't have to think too much. It's like an anti-stressor. Exactly, exactly. Mm. The Prince of Wales in England in 1791, the toy was called... Uh, the Prince of Wales, because uh, the future George IV, Prince of Wales, used right. to play with that toy, and they named it after him. And it makes its way over into the United States, Yeah, just after yeah. the Civil War. 1866, I believe, the first patent was put down for the yo-yo. Yeah, a couple guys from Ohio right. received the patent for an invention called an improved Bandalore. And it was improved because it was rim-weighted. Which I guess helped it to spin mm -hmm. more quickly, etc. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, a German fellow by the name of Charles Kirchhoff patented and manufactured the return wheel. So those are the early patents in the U.S. And then along comes our Filipino friend, Pedro Flores. Flores was actually born in 1899 in the Philippines, yep. which was at exactly the same time that the Spanish-American War was going on, right. which the Americans would eventually win in 1902. Yeah, yeah. But in the process of all this, he spends time there and then he makes his way to America. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he ends up in California. With a as company. A, as a teenager. And then he creates a company selling yo-yos. And in the late 1920s, 1927 to be exact. And then the big kind of watershed moment comes along. Two uh, years later. Yeah. And the name of that watershed moment is Donald Duncan. Mm. Is it junior? Senior. 
Donald Duncan Sr. comes D.F. Duncan Sr. Yeah, and he sees this toy in operation. He goes, wow, this is, there's an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. So being a brilliant entrepreneur and businessman, he ends up eventually buying Flores's company. The Duncan yo-yo is 90 years old. Wow. First started only weeks after the Great Depression began with the stock market crash in October of 1929. Happy 90th, Duncan mm-hmm. Yo-Yo. And Duncan is also the marketer of the first successful parking meter. No kidding. Eventually, actually, the parking meter further on in his life becomes his predominant money earner. After he went bankrupt with the Yo-Yo Company, With the Yo-Yo right? Company. That happened in the 60s. Right. After plastic actually was introduced, because it wasn't plastic until the 1960s. There had never been a Yo-Yo. That's right. Made out of plastic until the 1960s. Yeah. Correct. And Duncan's brilliance was to send Yo-Yo demonstrators across the country and into Europe mm-hmm. to demonstrate this cool yo-yo, this toy, mm-hmm. which really in a way was an adult toy as well as a children's toy. Yes, it was. Right? And Duncan actually is credited with being the first most significant promoter. He was the promoter of the great yo-yo fad in the U.S., which took us right into the 60s. Yeah. And in 46, he moved the company to Luck, Wisconsin. Which is known as the yo-yo capital of the world. It's now the capital of the world. Producing how many yo-yos per hour? At its peak, He was producing 3,600 yo-yos per hour, which is one per second. Wow. That's astounding. (laughs) And using a million board feet per year. And believe it or not, at the height, they couldn't keep up with demand. Now, there was only 40 million children in the U.S. at the time. Yep. At its peak, the company produced 45 million yo-yos in one year. Incredible. You think, how could something like that fail? Well, eventually it did fail because he originally applied for a trademark on the name Yo-Yo. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the competitors that began to spring up, they're using the words like the comeback, return, returning top, whirligig, the twirler. And they wanted that word Yo-Yo applied to it. Mm-hmm. And they fought him and fought him as his bills rang up. He eventually had to go bankrupt. And the business was taken over by uh, Flambeau Plastics, which to this day is the main producer of yo-yos in the world. That's right. Unfortunately, though, he still had his parking meter, so he did very well. (laughs) That's right. And he had a national yo-yo day named in honor of his birthday, June 6th. So that's a kind of a fun thing as well. But he was the major influence after Flores in the U.S. Just one other thing about Duncan, too, is that uh, he introduced the butterfly shape. Oh, yeah. uh, Which was a a design that uh, reversed the halves of the traditional imperial yo-yo. Yep. And that allowed players to uh, catch the yo-yo on a string easily, which made it better for certain tricks. Going back to Pedro Flores and his yo-yo. Mm-hmm. The unique advance there was instead of having the string attached to the axle, right. they actually had it looped around the axle, Coiled. which allowed the uh, yo-yo to do the sleep, you know, right. like spin when the uh, string was extended, which you couldn't do before. So that allowed you to do hundreds of tricks that you couldn't have done before. Yeah, and all with a piece of wood, basically, with a couple of halves and a string, which you could carry in your pocket. Which I did and which you did when we were kids. Yeah, I remember that, actually. And I think I had a Duncan. It was wood. Right. And I played with it for years. Years, years. And do you remember, though, that they eventually also developed the ones where you could take it you apart? You could take it apart, replace the axle, right? Mm-hmm. So there are all these sort of advances in improved yo-yos. Box, box. 
How many yo-yos do I own? I can't begin to uh, count them all. Well, my real job is uh, I am a physician, I'm a dermatologist and a skin cancer surgeon. I've treated over 30,000 skin cancers since I've been here in Orlando, Florida. In addition to saving lives, Lucky Meisenheimer has the world's largest collection of yo-yos. I bought my first yo-yo. I was probably around 12 or 13 years old. So it was a little bit of a yo-yo craze going on. I did have a, a natural affinity to the yo-yo from the very beginning. The Guinness World Record is over 4,000 different yo-yos, but I have probably close to 10,000 yo-yos here. My most favorite yo-yo out of all these thousands and thousands of yo-yos, you might be surprised, is this little plain green yo-yo, but this is kind of the holy grail of yo-yos. It's a Flores yo-yo, and the reason it's important is that Pedro Flores was the first person to name the yo-yo yo-yo in the United States. Before this, they were called bandolores. Pedro Flores also ran the first yo-yo contest, and that started the first yo-yo craze, which continues on till today. Each yo-yo has its own little story. I'm really a yo-yo historian, if you will. This yo-yo here in 1990 was the Guinness World Records largest yo-yo. It was six feet tall and it weighs 820 pounds. And everybody wants to know, well, does it actually have to yo-yo? It did. It required an 80-foot crane to do it. Box, box. And then, of course, came the great uh, idea of tournaments and these tricksters. I call them tricksters. Yeah. They developed some amazing tricks yeah. with these yo-yos. Incredible. And the current world yo-yo champion, 2019, apparently is an Israeli by the name of Sagi Muki. Sounds Japanese, doesn't it? Because the Japanese have totally dominated that sport. That's right. 75 world titles. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, really. Uh, some fun facts about the yo-yo. In 1968, our radical guy, Abby Hoffman, was pulled up in front of the House Subcommittee on Un-American Activities, and he was cited for contempt of Congress because he pulled out his yo-yo and walked the dog in front of these people to entertain them, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that was 1968. 1974, Tricky Dicky. Richard Nixon. Nixon. He yo-yoed on the stage at the opening of the Grand Old Opry in Nashville in 1974, mm -hmm. making headlines for that. It's been taken into space. Yes, it has. 1992 was the first time. Yep. And they discovered, of course, in space that you can't do the uh, same sleep, sleeper because right. gravity doesn't work the same there. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Although it was a lot easier to do things like orbits. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Mm -hmm. In fact, let me do one for you now. I have my yo-yo here. Oh, here we go. Round no, the world. Oh. Round the world, baby. Round the world. Easy, easy, Harry. Oh, sorry, Peter. Oh, come on, Harry. We can replace that window. This was not the place to do that particular trick. No, I'll replace the window. Okay. I'll replace it. All okay. right. <laughs> so, the fascination with yo-yos, why do you think people were so fascinated with this thing? Well, speaking for myself and having played with the yo-yo when I was younger, it was easy to carry around. Yep. It was simple in its construction. Mm -hmm. It was very affordable, which for a lot of children made it particularly attractive, and for parents at the time who were also buying for the children. And I was always kind of taken by that whole spinning idea. I think things that spin wheels, anything that has that wheel-like kind of style to it mm. or feel to it, it's always been appealing. So I think that was a big part for me. Yeah, I mean, the wheel is such an important shape, if you like, in the history of 
mankind. I mean, we wouldn't be getting anywhere soon, very far, without that wheel shape. And, and it, this was way before the internet, and it was a great form of entertainment. Yep. Even if you didn't have friends at the time, or if you were alone, you could still uh, utilize it. And it was a great thing to play with friends. Sure. You'd be comparing tricks. Uh, and, of course, you were all carrying this in your pocket. Yeah. You know, in my day, too, as a child, unlike today, parents would send their kids out onto the street and say, go play. For hours. Yeah, without supervision, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And how perfect to have that yo-yo that you could just play with for a long time on your own and enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was really, really cool. Something else that was of interest to me, because I remember this specifically, there were different kids in the schools, and some of them were extremely athletic, some were not. And this gave those who weren't particularly athletic a great opportunity mm. to exploit a skill. Yeah. And it is a skill. If you've ever watched people who are really good with a yo-yo. Incredible it's to amazing. watch. It's amazing to watch. And there's umpteen examples of it on YouTube. And in fact, they look a lot like martial arts movements. Mm -hmm. Some of these Japanese practitioners have a gi on and they're moving around like they're doing a ninjutsu or jujitsu or karate. Well, I actually think that there's a correlation and I think it's not a coincidence that so many champions have come out of Japan. Right. Because I, I do believe that there's a link between the physicality and the, the science and the mental strength. Because I do think it requires a certain level of composure mm -hmm. to handle a yo-yo at that level. Oh, yeah, and your focus. You, you can know, hurt yourself, actually. Control, or you could crash windows. <laughs> crash <laughs> like windows. I, like I people have did. hurt themselves. Sorry about that. I'll, no, I'll, get okay. I'll get it fixed. You, know, you can fly back into your face You know, doing yeah. some of these tricks. You've got to be careful. Well, in my case, it would be an improvement <laughs> in my face. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I think is interesting, too, is when I think about the yo-yo hmm. and what it does, is you have something in your hand, at home, so to speak, then you throw it out into the world, and then it comes back to you. Exactly. Out and back, which reminds me of... It's tethered to a string which never lets it get away completely. That's right. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, I try to, it keeps pulling me back, back in, in, you know? <laughs> but it's like the theme of, of many mythologies and legends in history is all about the prodigal son or daughter going out into the world, making their life, having mm -hmm. these adventures, and then coming back Returning home. Returning home, right? Yeah. So this out and back rhythm is really interesting, I think relates to our fascination with this toy, mm -hmm. too, that it's kind of a breath, an out breath and an in breath, an out breath in an in-breath. It also kind of relates to our breathing. Yes, right? as you said, natural rhythms that yeah. occur. We know that the doll is number one, the yo-yo is number two. But what's interesting to me is the simplicity of these toys relative to where we are today with the complexities, the technologies, and, and all these things that yeah, right. we spend so much time with. And I've always said it, even now, I remember when our son was very young, and uh, there used to always be this debate, either with friends, family, about toys. And, and I thought that children had way too many things yeah. in terms of the amount of toys and, sure. and the plastics and the, the packaging, all of it. And then I'd watch the adults would be all involved in this, but the children themselves would sometimes go to the most base things, the wooden ladle. They could mm -hmm. spend an hour on. That's right. The uh, plastic toys that they received with the infinite packaging, you know, five minutes later, and they're more interested in the wrap than they are the toys themselves. Right. So I think that the yo-yo is excellent proof of 
it doesn't have to be costly and it doesn't have to be complicated to be engaging for children. Yeah, and speaking of packaging, when I was a kid, when I was a child, yo-yos wouldn't come in these big packages with plastic surrounding them and all that That's stuff. Right. It'd be like a card that the store owner would pull out and these yo-yos would be just sort of hooked into slots in the card and mm -hmm. you could pick your favorite color or whatever it is, uh, Dunkin' Yo-Yo, and off you went. So a simpler world and no digitization. And mechanical eye-hand coordination. So mm -hmm. it's good for learning eye-hand coordination and patience yep. as well, yep. you know, and creativity, creating new tricks. Excellent for basic physics. Yeah, sure. There's this childlike connection mm. to it mm -hmm. and which serves both adults and children actually yeah i mean the child in me wants to pick up a yo-yo yeah. right now and well i won't break another window but uh have fun with it you know mm -hmm. so yeah we're having fun with the yo-yo today and that's the history of the yo-yo Incidentally, we should mention, and sometimes we don't, and I think it's a disservice. A lot of this information that we're sharing today, by the way, came off of a website called spintastics.com. And it was an article written by Valerie Oliver called The History of the Yo-Yo. Mm -hmm. And I read so it. I think acknowledge our sources sometimes. And this is a very beautiful article that covered all of these bases, yes. allowing us to share this information in the way we're doing today. Great point. And uh, thank you to the writer. Yep. Or filling in the blanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. An amazing toy, for sure. Yeah. And reeling it out there and yeah, waiting and, and, for something to come back. People from Sweden are mm -hmm. listening and Brazil and Beauharnois and Quebec and other places in Canada. And we'd love your comments to come flying back to us like that yo-yo. And you can leave uh, a message on our audio commentary. There's an uh, audio button, button on our website. Yeah, and Click and record. Please, we'd love to hear from you. Criticisms and plaudits both. So enjoy playing with your yo-yo. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Piero. Let the spinning wheel fly. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.